I wanted to join the military since the age of four because my dad was serving in the military. I was at the first of three girls and I was daddy's little girl and that's what daddy was doing. And I thought it was cool. And that's what I wanted to do. Can you tell me a little bit about your military journey? Yeah. So I, you know, I'm first generation Korean American. And when my dad was serving, he was a combat engineer. And, you know, my dad would take me to formation. And, you know, I thought it was the coolest little thing. And my dad, um, you know, taught me how to shine boots and, you know, iron uniforms and stuff like that. And in that journey, my dad would talk about military service. And, and when I said that I wanted to join, the one thing about, you know, an Asian family is that my dad was adamant about education. And my dad would say, okay, if you want to serve the military, that's fine, but you cannot enlist. You have to, you know, go and get your education. And, and um, that in, in order to do that, you're going to become an army officer. You know, when you're young, I had no idea what that meant, but okay. The end state is I'm going to become an army officer and I'm still going to be in the military. I had no idea what that meant, but okay, sure, dad. And so off I went to college and I went to Radford University in Virginia and I did ROTC, Reserve Officer Training Corps. And at the end of my time in college, I commissioned into the army as an army officer, a second lieutenant. And, and I commissioned in 2001 and uh, it was in June. And so the landscape of the army hadn't changed yet, right? It was, you know, it was the army and 9-11 hadn't happened yet. And I commissioned into the army as a, so this is a long title, be prepared, <laughs> as a chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, CBRN officer. So basically what that fancy title, but basically what that officer does, it gives the commander the ability to um, assess and understand on the battlefield those types of incidents. Hey, sir, we're going to either, you know, this is what's on the battlefield. We're either going to fight through it or we're going to go around it. And um, when I was at officer basic school, 9-11 happened. And so that changed the landscape. So for the first 10 years of my career, I was a chemical officer or chemo for short. And I served at tactical levels in the army. In the last 10 years, I, I transitioned and I changed my, uh, what most people understand as MOS, right? Military Occupational Specialty. And I ended up becoming a public affairs officer or public relations is what uh, the civilian side is familiar with. And then I retired out after 20 years and I got to do a lot of amazing things. I had three tours to Iraq. I served at the tactical level and strategic level. So I had an amazing ride. I, I got to do and see a lot of great things. How does it feel that what you did in the military paved the way for now other women who are being able to do a lot more? It's always um, humbling. And at the same time, you know, when you look back, you're just, uh, for me, I just kind of look back and it's, it's kind of surreal. Um, it, you know, I just was recently awarded one of 21 women um, as a 2023 uh, Department of Veteran Affairs trailblazer. And Congratulations. I just Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I look at some of the recipients and I'm just like, wow, they're just so amazing and so, uh, you know, awe-inspiring and the things that they have done. And and just to be able to hold space with these women and just like, wow, 
um, I, I get to sit next to them. I get to be um, awarded with these women. And I just feel like I haven't done enough. Um, and, and, you know, some of the women that have come before me. So it truly is humbling. Uh, just knowing that there's just been some really some kick-ass women that have come before me and there's going to be some, you know, amazing women that come after me. But um, it truly is humbling knowing that there have been inspiring women that have come before me and just to be able to be part of the conversation that have changed the landscape. You know, when I came in in 2001, I wanted to be a tanker. Right. I remember wanting to to be a tanker. And I specifically remember going through branch day. Right. It's the day that you get to kind of select. And um, and they're like, yeah, you don't you can't be a tanker because simply for the gender that I was born. Right. Uh, Because that's combat arms and that was only open to men. And for me, I'm just I was so inspired by it. Like, who didn't want to drive this massive, big, hulking metal? Right. This big, (laughs) giant tank that shot this giant round downrange that blew things up. I mean, I I wanted to do that, but simply because I was a woman, I, you know, I, I wasn't afforded that opportunity. Um, and I think it's just amazing that women can do that. Uh, if you have the aptitude, the ability, the capability, um, if you meet the standards, you know, the sky's the limit. Um, but what I was able to do in my career, because I was a public affairs officer, I got to help write in the messaging, um, when, when they're talking about the congressional changes. And so while I wasn't able to change my career and, and do that, you know, I got to help write some of the messaging for the army, um, about those changes. And so, you know, that's inspiring, you know, I got to help. Uh, do some messaging about changing some of the maternity and paternity leave. Um, I was able to um, craft behind the scenes and and be vocal about uh, uniform changes for nursing mothers, you know, because I understood that I was sitting at the Pentagon. I was, you know, um, a second time around mom at the time. And, uh, you know, the one thing that the Pentagon has is uh, they're well-equipped with nursing rooms and, uh, you know, we're sitting moms, new moms are in there and we're pumping away. And and I was talking about how I got messages from uh, soldiers that I'd worked with before. And they were complaining about how they don't have rooms for moms down at the field level. And I was talking about this with other women in the rooms and one of them was a nurse and she was just like, we should change this. And we're like, yeah, we should. And we just got fired up and we just started just, you know, bonding together and just started just crafting policy in the back rooms of the Pentagon of just pushing through these initiatives of we need to change this. Right. And um, and and just through that passion and that tenacity we started working through the policy of uniform requirements and why we needed nursing rooms and uh, making sure that our soldiers had nursing rooms at, at all the way down to the company level. So while, again, I didn't get to change my military occupational specialty per se, you know, I got to help kind of craft some of the messaging along the way and do some policy changes. So for me, I think that's that that was my little touch. Well, you said earlier that you were uh, daddy's little girl. What are some of the things you've learned from your dad? You know, the the thing that my dad taught me very early on and, and the thing that stuck with me uh, uh, 
that was, I think, very critical in my career because my dad was an NCO, right? Non-commissioned officer. He was combat engineer. And he said, you know, Olivia, the most important thing that I can tell you, the advice is, is that always take care of your soldier. If you always take care of your soldier and place your soldiers first, they will always want to follow you. And of course, you know, when he told me that at the beginning, I didn't always necessarily understood that, right? But I took I took to heart what he told me. And I said, okay, place place your soldiers first, place them first. And I said, okay, I got that. And I tried to make sure that I remembered that always. And and that's what I I I took to heart. That every decision that I made, every time that I was placed in in a position to lead that I placed them first, right? I placed their needs first, that every choice that I made was always about them. And, and I will say that leadership is the hardest and the most loneliest place to be. It's never about a popularity contest. And and if you're making choices to be popular, then you're, you're a wrong leader. That's the wrong type of leadership because you are always making the best decision for the whole and not for the individual. And I always wanted to make sure that I was doing it for the best for them, placing their needs above all else and making sure that I was leading for, for, for the soldiers. And, um, and I think one of the best compliments that I ever got, you know, especially being a woman that, uh, was in combat arms, oftentimes I was the only woman and, um, you know, being a a troop commander leading an organization that a woman had never led before, you know, I led an organization that, you know, a woman had done before I had, you know, some men in there that hadn't worked with women and they're quite upset with working with women you know, they grumbled, you know, they were upset. They're like, oh man, we got a woman as a, as a troop commander. This sucks. You know, I I don't, I don't want to be here. And, you know, we ended up deploying, it was my third deployment. And I remember at the end of it, when it was all said and done, you know, they, they came up to me and it's like, you know what, ma'am, you, you proved us wrong. You proved us wrong that women can do this. And I, I would go back to hell with you. And for me, you know, that, that meant the world to me that, that one, that they believed in me, that they, that, that they thought I was a good enough leader. And on top of that, that they thought that women were value added and capable and confident enough to be in the military and, and uh, their partners. Right. And that was, that was probably one of the best feelings in the world. What are some of the things you've taken from the military, the skills you've uh, acquired for your uh, own company? You know, uh, for me, it's culturally going into the military was quite easy, right? Um, My parents, uh, part of it, you know, because my dad was in the military, but, you know, and I say this often, I say it jokingly, you know, Korean Asian families are very regimented. Like my mom is, she's like hard charging, hardcore. Um, So when I came into the military, I found it funny, right? The discipline, the um, attention to detail, the, uh, you know, to me, it was easy. I'm like, this is, this is easy, right? To be able to, um, to come into a very structured environment 
um, was easy, right? My mom expected me to study all the time. Um, you know, I had a very regimented life. So that mindset was very easy. And that carried me very well through the military. And so leaving the military, that has been very helpful. Having a regimented lifestyle, um, being able to have discipline throughout my life, um, you know, that carries well when you are, um, you know, working for somebody, because I worked for somebody for a company for almost two years, and then I transitioned into running my own company full time. And discipline is very important, right, to, to say that I'm going to wake up and sit down and get knockout work, right? When when no one's looking, when there's no one breathing down your neck of getting things done to have the discipline just to get work done. And, you know, that's an important trait. And at the same time, the military taught you integrity, right? The values. And uh, that is so important. The, the thing that the military just harped on is that never lose your integrity, right? Once you lose your integrity, you can never gain that back. Your word is your bond. And I think that is so true, especially when you're in business, right? Your integrity, your value structure, who you are, you know, that's your reputation. That's your brand. And you never want to lose that, um, especially as a new company, um, as you're trying to build out your structure, you want people to say good things about you. You want people to say, oh yeah, I, I know Olivia, I know her company, I have good things to say about her. And you never want anyone to say bad things. Um, and I think those are just just some of the soft um, skills that I've learned from the military that um, I am so appreciative of. With the trailblazer award how does it feel to uh be honored for your accomplishments it's it's amazing it's it's surreal um i was um you know shocked right um my partner is the one who had actually submitted me for it i had no idea and so when i got the email i'm like what what is this this is i was totally taken aback it was so cool um the recognition ceremony will be in june so um, just to, you know, just like I said, just to be part of that cohort, just to be recognized, um, you know, 21 women, almost 400 applications went in. Um, that's just, it's amazing. Um, cause there's just so many women that are just out there doing amazing things in the community and just to be recognized. Um, yeah, I'm truly humbled truly humbled and grateful. So what are the things that uh, motivate you? You know, I, I think for me, when I left the military, I say all the time that my heart remains with the military community. Um, you know, I did 20 years. And so all of my young adult growing up was done in the military. Um, you know, I deployed three times to Iraq. I uh, am a product, if you will, of the 20 year war. I, you know, I, I grew up in that pivotal time frame where, uh, you know, I lost friends, you know, I went overseas, I saw, you know, some horrific things and had to process some things, you know, I had, I had events occur to me, you know, I've, I've talked about that in podcasts, you know, I was assaulted, you know, I've had, I had my own events, you know, I've gone through some IED blasts, you know, things like that. Um, and, um, yeah. war changes you, right? And 
I just, I just look at life, I think, completely differently, but appreciate it at the same time. And when you, when you look at it from that perspective and you, um, and you, and, and you kind of take a step back from that and you look at the opportunities that have been given to you, that this is a great life that you've lived, right? I cannot help but look back and say that the military was a great opportunity, regardless of the fact that it was painted with, you know, combat tours or not. You know, it just was such a great exposure for me and um, just such a, for me, it was just full of opportunity and life and learning curves that I just like I would not change at all. I would just, I wouldn't redo it um, because there's just so many learning pieces that I got to learn and grow from. And I think that when people ask me, would you do it all over again? Would you do it differently? Is the military worth it? I would say, no, I wouldn't redo it over in any other way. Um, The military is definitely worth it. And, um, you know, it's not for everybody, but I appreciate it. Where do you want to see your company in the next uh, three to five years? You know, for me, um, I want to be able to grow and scale the company because my heart is with the military community, right? Because my life has been the military for so long. And for me, it's about serving the community. And I want to be able to grow the company to be able to tell stories, not only from my perspective, but my client's perspective. Um, I want to be able to grow the company, to be able to share my client's stories, to be able to connect the military community to the civilian community. And here's why. I don't know if a lot of people recognize this statistic. 0.45% currently serve when you add up all of the six branches, you know, because now we have Space Force. Right. 0.45%. We don't even make up 1%. So let's round it up to make the math easy. Because I like easy math. So 1%. (laughs) So 99% of America's population does not serve. Of that 99%, 50% of that population does not know it's military. Has no clue. Is disconnected. Does not understand the military. And even that 50% only understands the military by what they see on TV, movies, and news. So from that perspective, majority of it is from a negative perspective. Right. Because it only under, it the the American population can only understand the military from from essential from the news being sens- uh, you know sensationalized, right? And they see us as broken, right? That we are TBI, PTSD, and that we are these broken people. We're not broken. Yes, some of us have 
TBI and some of us have PTSD and yes, we have mental health and we do need help in all those arenas. And we are short in mental health resources that I am a mental health advocate for the military community. And yes, we need help in that. And yes, we need so much in that arena and we need your help, but we're not broken, broken as discarded leftover people and that we're bad. But well, we've been in your communities because remember, we came from your communities to go serve. Right. And I, I bet you we've been in your communities and part of your communities, you probably didn't even know it because you haven't taken the time out to ask. And with that being said, get to know the veterans in your community. And, and I'm appreciative of the fact that our, that our civilian communities do say thank you. That's more than what the, the Vietnam veterans got. Yeah. Right. And I love that. But what my plea and my ask is go beyond the thank you. Do more. Put your money where your mouth is. And, and I get a lot of pushback. But Olivia, I don't I don't have time and I don't have money. Oh, contraire, but you do. And here's my pushback to that. That beer that you get on Friday night with your buddies, that latte that you get that five or 10 minutes that you BS with your friends, that's where you give that one extra beer that you get that one extra latte give to a veteran resource. And see if every single person just gives five or $10 or five or 10 minutes of their time. If every single one of us did that, think of the impact that we can do. Because again, 99% is the civilian community that's disconnected from the military community. Think of that resource and the money and the time that could be given back and how much further we can go and we can give to that population that has served. Here's the other statistic that I would want the civilian community to understand. When you ask today's recruits about why are you choosing to serve? And if you and when you ask them, 80% of today's recruits that currently just raise their right hand, they said, I had a, a positive conversation about wanting to join. And you're like, yay. <laughs> well, let's peel back what that 80% is. 80% of them had a positive conversation with a family member. That family member had served. A mom, a dad, a grandma, a grandpa. Which means... We are asking the same families, generation after generation after generation. So it's the same families that are serving our nation, that are constantly giving. We can't keep doing that. We must ask more from our country than the same population. And so that's what I'm driving at. Give of your time. Give of your money, give of your effort. I'm not asking to give a hundred bucks. I'm not asking you to give thousands. Give a few bucks. Give of your time. Make a phone call. And depending on what you know, study you follow, it might be 44 a day, it could be 22 a day of veterans committing suicide. And that's what I'm talking about. You don't have to be an expert, right? But I've been there. 
I've been there where I contemplating taking my life. And many times it's just, they just need someone to talk to, to walk them off that ledge. And I was a Lieutenant Colonel in the United States Army. And my last job, I was in the business of knowing how to exit the military. I was an expert at it. I had notoriety. People knew, knew me by name. Companies outside the military knew me by name. I podcasted on behalf of the Army. I knew the resources. And yet, I couldn't get a resource to help me. Majority of us are type A, alpha type personalities. And we have a hard time asking for help. And when I finally uttered the words, help, and I started going through the Rolodex of resources that I knew, and they said, yeah, we know you, Olivia. I wish we could help. And it's not that they didn't want to help me. Yeah. They weren't. They were just tapped out. They just didn't have the ability to help me. They're like, maybe in six months we can help you. But best case is probably a year. At that point, I didn't know if I had six days left in me. So I'm a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army who's a senior, and in that rank structure, that's that's pretty senior in the rank structure. And I know no isn't an answer. I've got enough rank and enough time in the Army and enough sass to say, F you, right? But here's the thing in the military. Lieutenant colonels, we don't make up majority of the military. Majority of the military is at the E5 and below structure. They don't know that. And they're going to accept that. No. And that's why we have 44 a day or 22 a day. And that to me is unacceptable. That is unacceptable to me that somebody who is chosen to serve our country who's crying out for help is getting the answer of no. And that is my plea. And that is what I'm trying to get across to our community partners who don't really understand what it means to serve. And it's not that they don't want to know. It's just that you just don't necessarily understand what it means right. because lives are different. And that is my plea. That is my call to action to you. Give of your time, give of your resource and understand what we're asking. We need your help. We need your donations. We need your time. Well, what you were saying with, you know, the time is you, I live with a, a mental illness and if someone just, you know, gives me one compliment and all that, that makes the world a difference more than money or anything. So I completely, you know, understand that. Absolutely. Right. Walk them off the ledge. Right. Yeah. And so, and so for me, it's, connecting our communities together right when when we connect those communities together i truly believe we're going to be able to find the solution of driving down 22 a day to zero and that is what my passion is all about you know that's 
that is what drives me. That is what I want to see my company, you know, three to five years, right? That Olivia Nunn Communications is about um, telling my clients stories, connecting that, and that together through storytelling, through passion pieces, that we are connecting those communities, that we are truly making a difference.